Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. I am your host this week, Michael Dixon. Uh, with me, as always, Mr. John Garcia. What's up, John? Hey, hey. I'm happy to talk about the fourth installment of uh, a big franchise uh, with you, Dixon. This will be fun, I'm sure. <laughs> I am very excited as well. Uh, I am unironically excited or un- uncynically excited. Um, Ryan is not here with us this week, but we have one of our favorite recurring guests with us. John's brother, Mark Garcia. What's up, Mark? It's the time will you laugh to live it well. <laughs> I love it. We got to put some some nice folksy Randy Newman under that. Yeah. I'm sure it'll just sink right up. <laughs> no, nah, I'm doing all right. Um, having to just kind of remind myself that Pixar is one of the main reasons Randy Newman is still employed to this day. Um, but otherwise, I think, it's, I think it's the only reason. Uh, then you haven't seen Cop Rock. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, I'm just off the cuff. Good choice, Dixon. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just also want to make a note here. We had to sub in somebody who was a father for this because Ryan did. was not here. Obviously, we needed somebody uh-huh. who had. We can't have just a bunch of childless weirdos like me and John talking about Toy Story 4. We've yeah. got to have someone that can have children nearby and have an excuse to watch this movie. Um, so, yeah, we are talking about the fourth installment of the Toy Story franchise, Toy Story 4. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, Bo? Forky, come on. Bo? Bo? Hi there. My name is Gabby Gabby. We can't stay. (laughs) Yes, you can. Boy. What are you doing here? No time to explain. Come with me. We need to get back to our kid. Aw, Sheriff Woody, always coming to the rescue. Bonnie needs Forky. Woody, who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this? Wow. Woody, aren't we going to Bonnie? If you should ever leave me. You know, you've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. Bonnie? We're going home for you. God only knows Bonnie, I'm coming! On my way, Woody! To infinity and beyond! God only knows Don't let Woody leave. Kids lose their toys every day. I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. I wanted to continue on the summer blockbuster theme that Ryan started last week with Jaws as we are in July and in the midst of an onslaught of summer blockbusters coming out, Mission Impossible, uh, all of the, you know, Indiana Jones, all of this stuff that is, is coming out. It seems like a good time to talk about summer blockbusters. And Toy Story 4 is one of my favorite summer blockbusters. And I, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys because it's my favorite Disney movie. And I, I feel like it's a movie that has just been kind of forgotten despite coming out very recently and actually being the highest grossing Toy Story film. Um, it feels like People either saw it and were like, yeah, that was good, and they never thought it about it again, or people saw it and were like, no, I didn't like that. It was too sad. It was too creepy. 
they introduced too many new characters. You know, where was Buzz and the old gang? And and I, I feel like there are, there's several reasons that I hear why people are like, oh, I don't I don't like that movie. Um, for me, I, I feel like Toy Story four is is just like an incredible uh, movie. Like every every Toy Story movie is basically about Woody dealing with his progressive uselessness like at, at different phases of his life and how he deals with that typically in very poor ways. Um, but I, I think Toy Story 4 is like the it's the conclusion that that really makes sense for his character. And I think another reason that people seem to not like Toy Story 4 is because they love Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 3 wraps a nice bow around everything with the franchise. And I think people were like, oh, this was a great way to end it. It's done now. And then the fourth one was announced and they were like, oh, no, we don't we don't need that. We we like to live in the world where Toy Story 3 is the perfect movie that ended everything. And we don't we don't want to deal with what might happen after that. And when I heard the Toy Story 4 was coming out, I was very skeptical about it. It was like, uh, I don't know if this is necessary. This seems like a cash grab. And then I saw the movie and I was like, holy shit, this is like a, a beautiful indie drama about aging and retirement disguised as a children's blockbuster. Like, you know, it's basically about Woody having to deal with the fact that he can no longer serve his original intended purpose that he has always done his entire life. Like not only just like the job of a toy of bringing a child joy, but also like being the favorite toy that is running the room and, and always has responsibilities and things to do. He's like a CEO that can't do his job anymore and has been pushed into the corner <laughs> of this company. And it is just there because people don't have the, you know, the balls to fire him. And he's just kind of stuck there messing around. He's, you know, founded this company, but he's too incompetent to do anything anymore. And are you describing a Hallmark film or what's happening? Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it, it just like, it feels like a very real like representation of like an old man trying to deal with the changing world and his lack of place in it and how to come to terms with that. And the entire movie is him like fighting to create purpose for himself in a way that just continues to fail. Like he can't uh, actually do the things that he wants to do like he's obsessed with well now i have to make sure bonnie's happy and yeah if she doesn't give a shit about me whatever that's fine but i need to do everything to make sure she's happy and so like he's uh you know just trying to make sure forky survives because bonnie cares about forky and and forky is hilarious i fucking love tony hale and and that character is is so funny to me his just constant existential crisis is is great um but i mean i, I think the reason this movie works so well is because it it follows Woody so closely and it introduces a lot of fun characters in Forky and Duke Kaboom and some of these other side characters and gives Bo a bigger role. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard people complain like, well, you know, like the old gang isn't really in the movie and we don't get Rex and Potato Head and Ham and Buzz. And I'm like, I don't really care. Like we yeah. know those guys like they don't they don't further Woody's story anymore. They are what they are. And like we need to move forward and and have him experience other things but um yeah i have many more things to say but i i will pass it along uh and excited to hear what you guys think and then get into more detail but uh john what, what were your thoughts on toy story 4 yeah i am one of the people who forgot toy story 4 was a thing um <laughs> although i will say i think that there was a pandemic and a lot of movies between me and toy story 4 and when i saw it initially True. i was like this is good like i i liked it um, but then I left and was just like, all right, I, I don't know that I'm going to go back to, I also just don't go back to the toy story franchise often either. So it's one yeah. of those things where I'm like, yeah, there's three. And then there's four when I think about it. Um, so watching this again, 
I just appreciated a lot more the technical aspects of it. The fact that it's like, this is the first Toy Story, uh, the, the last Toy Story, but it's the first Toy Story that is uh, in a different aspect ratio. So they could use an anamorphic lens styling and they can get a certain bokeh that they could simulate in the softness of focal length and depth. I, um, I want to talk about the focus. Like that's, yeah. that's, it looks so, the animation is incredible. It looks so realistic. And like, there's that one scene where Woody is in the background talking to Gabby yeah. and he's talking, but it's focused on Gabby and he's blurry in the background and it makes it look so much more realistic and add so much more depth to the frame than just like making everything come in at the same level and uh i i have to wonder um if this is also one of your favorites because it has two stanley kubrick references in it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and as this anamorphic lensing and like all of these other aspects that this really feels like the toy story that's made for film buffs and film fanatics who can get behind it and it's one of those things where like pixar always um, with the exception of the car franchise, it's just constantly trying yeah. to at least use their next movie to innovate on something. The cars franchise is only innovating on like Larry, the cable guy's career uh, <laughs> and giving Owen Wilson a paycheck. Uh, but, um, but they're really innovating the, in those fields like nobody yeah, else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I enjoyed seeing, yeah, I think that initially when I saw this in theaters, I had that attachment to Andy's story mm-hmm. and was having kind of this, dissonance where i was like well now that andy's story's concluded i was just still hung up on the we really don't need this for most of the movie i didn't i was like i registered that the character story and the fact that it was following woody and like this whole acceptance was fine um i i thought that some of the core conflict felt a little rushed for me but on a rewatch it doesn't really bother me anymore and i i had a great time with it um the the only thing that kind of stood out was uh, Key and Peele playing characters that I know oh, are yeah. Key and Peele, which it's still fun, but it's one of those things where it feels like uh, the, in the same way that Mater is like a gimmick, it felt like that, where they were like, we just need to bring in some goofy comedy that everybody outside of this would know is, oh, that's Key and Peele, or that's this comedian. So um, outside of those grievances, uh, I had a fantastic time. I feel like this movie <laughs> was, the entire time that I was watching it, I was thinking about... Um, not the logic of how toys work or any of that shit, but I was thinking about heavily about nihilism and religion mm-hmm. yeah. um, just because so much of it is like, I need to find a new God. That's like all of these toys just have that <laughs> idea. Um, and uh, I, I just kept meditating on that um, with Woody coming to terms with the fact that, Hey, maybe you don't really need that. Uh, maybe you can liberate yourself of like Bo constantly referencing her liberation and how like she feels mm-hmm. free. He, she doesn't have to, apologize um it's like that whole conversation where woody's just like i'm sorry that you don't have a child and i've been told like a number of times like oh i'm sorry that you like don't believe in god and it's just <laughs> like the these kind of like resonance here it's like oh uh yeah this is much more interesting um also i just want to call out my favorite thing in this movie is that they establish the they don't establish it but it's their combat carl oh, the carl combat weathers great. Yeah. toys uh and the dude who never gets combat a high cross getting played with <laughs> <laughs> The dude who never gets a high five in that group. Um, and the fact that they did do an after credit scene where he gets high five by Duke Kaboom. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Uh, they wrapped up everything in this movie for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I really did enjoy uh, just the journey and visually. Yeah, stunning. Everything about it is a testament to like it's a flex by Pixar in every aspect, technically. Um, so 
I'll, I'll turn things over to Mark. Mark, what'd you? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, the most ironic thing, you guys bring me on to be the token dad who would watch it with his kids. Mm-hmm. I actually watched it after my kids went to bed. So, <laughs> oh, so you have no hot child takes. On exactly. I, um, you know, Jackson had watched it with us back when it had first hit, um, I guess, digital streaming and everything, mm-hmm. which was a little bit before we hit the, the full fledged pandemic. And at that point in time, he was too young to really, truly appreciate movies. And so we watched it. He didn't really enjoy it, but Heather and I definitely did. Um, you know, in, in rewatching it this time, uh, to your point, Dixon, I'm kind of struck by just Pixar's ultimate flex on just how good they are with their animation. I went back and watched the Pixar short Tin Toy, which I don't know if y'all have watched it before. Yeah. But no. it is the precursor to Toy Story. And it has this little tin toy, but it also has one of the creepiest Nightmare animated baby. babies yep. ever. Like oh, this wow. is before they could really truly get any of the skin or movements to look the way they needed it to. That baby looks like a garbage bag with bones. They yeah. arguably <laughs> still haven't been able to animate humans yet. You know, like Pixar is very good at animating anything except like human faces. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, and I wonder too, if they, if they purposefully do more over exaggeration for the humans so that we don't get to that uncanny Valley area, yeah. which I think is yeah. probably it. We don't need a final fantasy spirits within situation. Exactly. Um, they can animate like hair incredibly yeah. well. They yes. can do like yeah. blades of grass and drops of rain and all these things like an absurd detail. Yeah. 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 But it, it's one of those things where I just to appreciate how far they've come. And I'll be the first to admit this is going to be my hot take and please don't at me for it. But Ooh. I um, I actually the original Toy Story is one of my least favorite Pixar films um, from a plot perspective. That. Like I rewatched all of them when the Toy Story 4 came out and like, yeah, so Toy Story 1, it's like it's innovative and it's an interesting concept. But the story itself, I didn't find super interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I felt it was a little vapid in a lot of what it, it set out to do. And I felt that it really was the fact that it was the very first fully animated um, computer animated feature film. And that is the why the reason why a lot of people remember it so fondly. Um, and then to your point as well, Dixon, about why this one may have faded um, beyond the pandemic. I think we were also there were a couple of things that happened. Obviously, Pixar was acquired by Disney. Mm-hmm. Shortly before this movie was announced, and then this movie was announced after. Shortly before Toy, the first Toy Story was announced. No, right? so wasn't Disney Pixar didn't, by Disney? No, back no, in the day? no, no. So Pixar oh, they was just, actually like, partnered with them on mm-hmm. on releases. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. and so Disney acquired Pixar because the contract of their terms to kind of collaborate was coming to a close, and essentially Disney scooped them up and then about a year to two years after they started announcing all of these sequels to Pixar films and Toy Story was one of those. And that's when people were like, I think I'm done with this. It's very clearly a cash grab by Disney. And that's Mm -hmm. the only reason these movies are being made. And then the other part of it, I think too, was we were full fledged in the throes of the MCU and everything that came with that. And that meant that a lot of kids were, instead of being taken to animated films, were being taken to superhero films. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that probably also dramatically impacted like the reasons why people might not look at this movie as fondly as they do Toy Story 3. Yeah. Um, beyond the points that y'all both raised. I fucking love this movie. Um, you know, it's just the the whole concept of Bonnie creating her own toy mm-hmm. and Forky having this completely different perspective and Woody trying to explain to him 
like in addition and it kind of parallels with Bo like Woody trying to talk to Bo about why she shouldn't be a toy without an owner like talking to Forky about the importance of actually being a toy and why that matters and him having to equivocate it essentially to being trash um it's just it's incredible. And then, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean like Woody's arc in all the movies has always been the most interesting. The other thing I really love about this movie is that Toy Story one actually did have legitimate sequences of horror. Yes. And Toy Story two and three didn't really, they had suspenseful sequences, mm -hmm. but not horror. But Man, the sequence behind the cabinets when the dummies are chasing yeah. and they just kind of are slipping through. I mean, because ventriloquist dummies, are terrifying. dummies yeah, yeah. to begin with, ventriloquist dummies, I think we can all agree, are one of the most uh -huh. terrifying things in the world to begin with. But seeing Next them to the people who operate them. Yes, of course, obviously. <laughs> I love that they didn't like give them voices. Like that yeah. was perfect. They don't talk. They yeah. just yeah. They literally have no voice because mm -hmm. there's nobody working, you know, their innards. Yeah. Um Take that, Jeff Dunham. And so, <laughs> and so just that whole sequence, like even though I was watching it on, you know, a smaller screen, not the big screen, even though I didn't have a fancy surround sound system like some of us do, um, it's still like Fuck you, John, <laughs> it still legitimately got my adrenaline pumping during that sequence. I was like, man, this is really fucking scary. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. And then I think that the, to your point, Dixon, I think that a lot of the characters that people maybe wanted more at the forefront, if you look at most of the Toy Story movies, like the second one, yeah, Buzz and the other toys are in there at points, but it's really, again, it's Woody's story. Yeah. And, and in Toy Story 3, it's Woody saving the toys from daycare. And all of them essentially are having these little cameo experiences in Woody's like character arc. Mm -hmm. And so it made sense that this movie really would have focused on Woody, because if there is a Toy Story 5 made, there's a good chance that it's really going to focus and fixate on Buzz. And I think that's what Lightyear was supposed to be. But, God, that movie sucks so yeah, hard. I know. <laughs> but um, it really would be kind of like Tim Allen's send off for Buzz Lightyear and probably the final conclusion to the whole Toy Story franchise. So spending more time with Woody in this movie makes the most sense because at the very end of it, you're saying goodbye to him in the context that you've always known him. And that is as a child's toy. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't know that Buzz can be the center of a movie like he's there's not a lot there. Right. He's stupid. And he like, you know, once he becomes part of the group and after the first movie where he realizes he's a toy, he becomes like loyal to everybody. But that's kind of it. He's never going through the same types of crises that Woody is and actually developing as a character. So I, I don't even know if that would work. Yeah, they try to do that. Buzz has Buzz gotten progressively stupider over the course of the movies, and I just never really registered that because yeah, is he like he, the Homer Simpson of this universe? Yeah, 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 because like he totally he like has a whole existential freakout in the first movie, right? And that seems like it's the key to him kind of learning and growing, and then he's just kind of a support character. Yeah, and in after this one, he realizes he's a toy. That's it. He doesn't really have that. Anyway. Yeah. There's like in Toy Story two, they try to do the fucking Star Wars. With you know, Zerg being here's his your father. father thing, but like it did, I didn't really think that worked very well. That was just for the goof. Well, and yeah. to your point, Dixon, like the the comedy that usually comes with Buzz, like the first movie you write, John, like he's having this existential crisis when he finally mm. realizes he becomes toy. But literally in the second, <laughs> <laughs> in the second and third. It's like the comedy. He he's the com comedic relief because he either is getting reset 
um, mm-hmm. in the third one to where he's, mm-hmm. you know, in his Spanish original dancer. state in Spanish dancer. There's your problem. <laughs> Set this doll to evil. <laughs> <laughs> or in the second one, he's being swapped out with another Buzz Lightyear who has not yet realized. And it's like the same bit over and over, mm-hmm. just recycled in a slightly different package. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, so. I want to talk about Forky and about like what, like, what is the moment of sentience in this world where like a child can create a toy? And like, is it when she writes her name on the popsicle sticks? Is that the moment where he gains consciousness or like it, it's, it's an interesting concept where you have like, like John, you're comparing this to like religion and, and like the child being the God of the toys. There's like a creation moment and, and Forky is just so terrified of himself and of existence the entire movie and just like is Forky suicidal is Forky just trying to return to his natural state and he's been like ripped out of this the normal life cycle of a spork and he's just very upset by it like I I think there's a lot of interesting things to dive into with with Forky and, and just that general concept but yeah curious if you guys have any thoughts on that I mean, I think that um, that in this universe, most likely the thing that um, imbues like if it if they are not manufactured as a toy, because the prospector was always kept in the package, never played with. Oh, and so he was manufactured as a toy. But it seems to be when they are made in a way with the intent of being played with that that is what imbibes them with whatever that piece of sentience is. And so I think that might be it, is that once Bonnie completed making him with the intent of playing with him, he became a toy and therefore became alive. Now, I want to know where the pet rock is in all of this equation. Because... Well, There's no references to that ever in this movie or franchise. It's in uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, John. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, but you have to put googly eyes on it. Yeah, yes, yeah. that is a requirement. I was like, do you have to put eyes on it for it to become sentient? But I think in the first Toy Story, there's an Etch-a-Sketch that can like walk around. Exactly. And so yeah. they, they use it to make the town plans. By the way, uh-huh. is that Etch-a-Sketch getting off on them using it like that? It seems kind of questionable. Oh, they would I, have to I would diddle its so. knobs. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally. It's yeah. weird. Mm. That's when you start peeling back these layers where it's just like, I don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, but yeah, like I think here Slinky, is that, that dog. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so just a brief aside, ha- have we done any internet research to find out if there is a sex toy story? Because oh. there's definitely that, you know, buzz is the name. <laughs> I feel like the closest thing we have in like cinema is sausage party. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, that's true. Ugh. That movie's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Also about religion. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I no. I have full faith that there's a sex toy story out there somewhere, <laughs> and that Buzz and Woody are the names they use again. Because I mean, you can't just, do anybody. It, How could you improve on? Oh that? Really yeah, you've got a dildo and a vibrator. Buzz and Woody. Yeah. Like Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah, and the dildo's jealous that the vibrator takes batteries, and, uh-huh. and yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's <laughs> Toy Story One. They just go to a Bo Peep show. Uh, <laughs> oh, and there you go, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really think that the the moment, this movie to me, thinking about like religions and different things, I think about like Shintoism when I think about this. Shinto is like the Japanese belief that there's a spirit in everything, like rocks mm-hmm. and all the other world. It just kind of creates a, a respect between you and your environment. And it's kind of the same thing for me with these toys. It's like, 
the moment that somebody starts to like really imbue that with this, like talking about Forky's existential crisis as trash, he has an essence from another dimensional plane of consciousness yeah. that comes into when he's made into a toy and it just like fights to tear him back, which is just wild to think about for too long. So it's like, all right, no, 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 no. Bonnie probably wrote her name on the bottom. And then suddenly he came to life. There we go. It's a Pinocchio ish story. Minus whatever satanic rituals are involved in Pinocchio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that, that's kind of where I see it is. I don't know. I draw that line at like the moment a kid starts to believe in something, that's when it exists. And it's that power of human imagination to make something more than it is to personify something. Um, and it's pretty sweet too to, to watch him obviously come through that arc of realizing mm -hmm. the, the analogous structure of trash is warm and I am trash and I'm her trash. And that it's just like a cute logical thought to walk through. Yeah. Um, and Woody's frustration that he keeps comparing everything to trash is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's also like, it's an interesting other side of the spectrum from the first toy story where Woody has to talk a toy into believing it's a toy mm -hmm. uh, from it, believing that it's an actual person or character in some science fiction thing to now I have to talk to this piece of trash and convince it that it's a toy. Woody honestly is on team like proselytized toy ship and oh, yeah. <laughs> everything's a toy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Tony Hale is so fucking good as Forky. Like, you know, I, I love Arrested Development. I, I love Tony Hale as Buster Bluth and, and Tony Hale and Veep is so good. Like it, everything he does, I, I, I pretty much am a fan of, but he's so good as Forky just putting this like terrified innocence into this character that is just like, that's what he's perfect at doing. And it's just so well cast. I would say um, also like major props always, obviously to the animators for his walk cycle, the things that he does when uh -huh. he moves really sells that cheapness of his assembly. <laughs> I love the uh, sequence where they're walking down the road just in silence. And he's like, tick, 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 tick. And then he's just like, carry me. <laughs> he's like, no, <laughs> that constant insistence. He is so childlike in his uh, early existence. And it's adorable. Um, yeah, I saw like a little it. featurette about the animations of the characters. And they were talking about how like they really try to put emphasis on, okay, what are the materials of this toy? What's it made out of? Therefore, how would it move? Like Woody is a rag doll. Therefore, he needs to move in a way that makes you think he is like Forky is a spork with fucking popsicle sticks bubble gummed to his ass. And like, how is he going to move? Like Buzz is a plastic actor. And like they they're like they really think about all these things like Bo is porcelain. So they try to think about how would this character actually move? What is the weight of the steps that this character is going to take? How are they going to impact the world around them? And it works really well. Like the the like physics that they employ into the character movement is really fascinating. Yeah. That's where you get that delicate balance between realism and style, like stylized animation. Uh, because when you think about other parts of the toy and the aspect of how they act, you have to relate to them as a human being in some way. And if Woody just had his eyes open all the fucking time, then that would result in like that creepy uncanniness of like what the fuck's happening. Uh, and that, it would be the, the fucking ventriloquist. Dolls. Yeah, they, yeah. They have to have um, like even Forky blinks, but he has googly eyes and it's like, how the fuck does he blink? But yeah. it doesn't really matter because your mind just accepts that immediately. And it's only when you start thinking about it that you're like, well, I wouldn't want him to look. No, that would be wrong. Or like their irises never adjust as eyes. And you really uh, don't want that in a toy. Uh, that just makes it feel like robotic, like it's watching you in some kind of fucking big brother style way. <laughs> I go occasionally Forky's like a googly eye will just move and yeah. it, it like it adds this level of like 
naivety and, and idiocy to his character that's just like it reminds you like oh yeah he's fucking googly eyes on a spork he'll like say something you're like oh he has feelings and his eye will move like crazy you're like oh yeah he's a fucking spork <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah being carried everywhere yeah. Yeah. all that stuff no i love that you bring up the just the general physics and um you know before i was on my way here i was listening to y'all's recommend or refute about um 2001 a space odyssey mm. and y'all were talking about how they had actually taken the time to build essentially the space station like set mm -hmm. and it's that kind of like a tender love and care when it comes to cinematography in whatever form it is, whether it's computer generated graphics or um, actual physical sets that you're building that I think really sells something like one of the things that will break me out of a television show or a movie is when a character goes and picks up a cup and takes a drink. And I can tell by the way the the actor moves, that's an empty fucking cup. Yeah. Like, and it really bothers me and, and I can't let it go because it's completely shattered any kind of perception I had about relatability to that sequence. And, um, and every time I see one of these characters move, whether it's the dummies, Woody, um, and even buzz, like, it's completely relatable based on how they're moving and and whatever type of toy it is that they are. I equivocated almost to the same way. Like I I know exactly how Kermit the Frog moves mm -hmm. um, yeah. because he's a puppet. And anytime I see him move, I expect him to move in a certain way, and he always does. And anytime I see Woody run, it's both comical and hilarious because he's a ragdoll, but also <laughs> completely believable because he's a ragdoll. Um, and I just I love that they took the time to consider that. Because it, for the audience at least, is saying, we understand that you are smart enough to actually relate to these things and that your mind is going to say, oh, of course this is going to move that way. It's supposed to. It's this, you know, and, and any, of any of those types of toys you have played with that are similar to that, you know, as a kid, like, that's how they move. Yeah, so I, I would say one great example, it's a very small moment. And that, that's what I love about, like, these kinds of movies, you can peel away a moment where an animator said, let's do that. And it's a, a bold choice. It's like, I know you don't like who frame Roger Rabbit Dixon, but mm -hmm. there's that scene where they're like sawing the, the handcuffs and there's a swinging light and they're drawing Roger Rabbit's shadow in the background and they have to track it with the fucking swinging light. And that's just um, animation wise. That's impressive feat. Yeah. And yeah. here it's like in this sequence, um, when Woody is uh, uh, Bonnie's about to go off to school and Woody's like, I need to figure out like how to get into her backpack or any of these other things. Like, um, or, or I think it's something with Forky actually. Uh, he gets like stepped on by the dad and his face just like caves oh, in Woody, in that yeah, way. Yeah. On, Woody yeah. gets stepped on by the dad and his face just caves in in that way that like a doll with that kind of plastic head would. Uh -huh. And then he like gets up and it's the indent and everything. And it's, I've seen dolls do that. And there's no, like there's plenty of other scenes in toy story movies where somebody forgot something. They come into the room and all the dolls pretend to be lifeless. We don't see them step on the dolls because I'm assuming it would be pretty hard to get that kind of concave naturalistic shaping to it. And at the, this point it's like, no, technology is good enough. We can do that and make it look realistic and have like the pressure actually probably simulate. I assume they looked at several dolls heads being crushed, which is oh, pretty yeah. dark when uh -huh. you think about it. But um, I do when he gets up that. and like holds his nose and blows it and yeah. his face pops out back into the normal shape. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of those moments where they were like, yeah, we're going to animate that. And mm -hmm. it, it's a choice. It's uh, very intentional and it, it makes the comedy, but it also just looks so real and brings you closer to him. It's um, almost like a Looney Tunes sequence, yeah. um, but it's just animated in that way with CGI at that level of detail. is just incredible to look at. 
And I mean, honestly, that would be one thing. If, if there was a documentary made about Pixar and they only focused on the four Toy Story movies and only focused on the level That is of, all that should be focused yeah, on. Truth, truthfully. Pixar documentary. <laughs> like, <laughs> just show me the level of detail that you've been able to add to the toys. Because mm-hmm. from just a general ancillary viewpoint, like, Toy Story 1's pretty rough around the edges, and I understand, like, why. But once they hit Toy Story 2, like, their animation style and studio had grown enough that they were able to do all sorts of fucking stuff. And still amazing with the story about that movie almost not being made anyway. Um, But, like... It was going to be straight to VHS at at first. No, um, they almost completely lost the whole movie when they were two-thirds of the way through. Oh, right. And there was a, yeah, an animator who happened to have been working from home that had a mostly finished copy and hadn't tied into their servers that got it. But that's neither here nor there. But, like, by the time you get to three and four, like most of the toys look almost exactly the same as they have since too. So I'd be really interested to know kind of what minor details they've kind of updated and what the technology Mm -hmm. has allowed them to do with these toys since then. Yeah. There's a reason this movie has, I think 814 trivia facts on IMDb. And it's probably (laughs) just because they have like an insane amount of detail in every frame. One of those facts is wrong and I need to go report it because somebody thought Bernard Herrmann's score was in this fucking movie. It is. No way, it's not. The taxi driver theme is in the, the Ducky and Bunny sequence where they're, they're talking tra- about scaring the old woman the old to get woman? the key. <laughs> yes, That's- they repeatedly play the taxi drivers every time they're like, well, what about this? And then they yeah. cut to, you know, the elaborate setup for them to just like charge the woman and scare the shit out of her. Uh, you know, do, to do the plush rush. I need to... Well, then, <laughs> the, the Bernard Herrmann saxophone jazzy taxi driver score is there. And the first time I saw this movie in theaters, I was like, holy shit, like pointing at the screen, like the one guy, like, guys, do you, do you notice this? And they're Nobody all like, we're kids. Cares. What yeah. the fuck are you talking no, about? All the four-year-olds around me are like, yeah, we've seen Taxi Driver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are you talking to me? Well, so, yeah. like, <laughs> then I need to take something up with the uh, people at Shazam headquarters because I Shazammed it just to double check, uh, and it is listed as Randy Newman's Plush Rush score. Oh, that's so, some fucking bullshit, man. Yeah, that hey. is uh, that's some copyright <laughs> infringement right there. Um, Bernard um, Herrmann's ghost deserves his cut. <laughs> it deserves justice. Yeah. Uh, this introduces my other question. I had this thought earlier, um, Dixon. What do you think if uh, there was a fifth Toy Story, but it's Paul Schrader gets to write? Oh, I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that. Yeah. Woody has has now like, you know, he's a lost toy, he's retired, and now he's just like living alone writing a diary. Yeah, just yeah. getting mad about something and yeah, <laughs> commits a horrible act of violence at the end of the movie. <laughs> Love that for him. Love that for Woody. Great now, character. Yeah, he becomes hellbent on uh destroying an entire toy factory because they have not yet uh, conjured these souls that would become abandoned <laughs> in a landfill somewhere. I mean, <laughs> truthfully though, that would probably be like pretty fucked up because if you think about it, like Bo was already showing a lot of like damage but uh-huh. she can just tape herself up because she's porcelain Woody being a ragdoll doesn't really have that ability and so he needs somebody be, to stitch them together like in Toy Story 2 yeah exactly or the dummies at He'll the end of this like one that zebra mm-hmm. uh, yeah so exactly so yeah. I would be I would actually be kind of interested to see like the grizzled war torn Woody that would most likely be in Toy Story 5 mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's there's so many random fan fictions of Toy Story I would love to see. Like uh, Woody is the retired, obviously grizzled uh, vet, and somebody finds him chopping wood in the forest, uh, as you do, and they're like, uh-huh. "We got a we got a rogue toy." 
doesn't believe it's a toy. <laughs> we need to bring you out of retirement. Yeah. Uh, that, that's more when we ruin the franchise way, way, way down the line. Uh, no, John. Paul Schrader cannot ruin anything. John. Paul Schrader would not ruin that one. What's uh, yeah, going to yeah. fucking happen is Disney owns the rights, so Samuel L. Jackson is going to make an appearance oh, in toy form and basically recruit Woody to join a specialized team He's of a Nick other Fury toys. action figure? Yeah. <laughs> God damn They're not going to even bother like coming up with a different toy. It's going to be Nick Fury. Uh-huh. And it'll be a TV show. Yep. It's yeah. a Funko Pop of mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Exactly. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> uh, anyways, back on the rails. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like there are a lot of other characters I want to talk about and dive into. But like I think at first like I, I want to talk about Woody's character arc and, and kind of where he goes here because i think that's that's really the thing that really gets me with this movie and i think it's just so well done like in this you know the single source 4 key is created and woody's like you know i have to i have to have a reason to live and to exist and so like he's just spending all this energy like trying to you know forky every five seconds is diving for the trash can and he's just constantly on guard trying to keep him playing defense keeping him from getting in the trash can pulling him out throwing him back up onto wherever bonnie is and like buzz multiple times offers to help and he's like no i need to do this myself and it's just this like at this point it's clearly not about bonnie it's it's about himself and he is just trying to figure out a, a you know to feel good about himself to justify his existence. And he used to be Andy's favorite toy and run the room and all this stuff. And he can't do this stuff anymore. And he refuses to admit to himself that he can't do this stuff anymore. And I think it's just fascinating to see that play out on screen. And you see that like, it's clearly not about Bonnie because if it was, he would be asking everybody to help him out. Like, Hey, here's what we need to do. Bonnie needs to actually help Bonnie and to help her through this time. But it's not, it's, it's about himself. And he, I don't know that he even ever realizes that. Maybe at the very end of the movie, He's, he does. Says it when he like. I think when he like yells in Bo's face, like "This is all I have," is a one moment where he starts to realize that that's yeah. it's, driving, it's driving him too far. Uh huh. Yeah. He he also um, at one point in time uses Andy in lieu of Bonnie. Yeah. When he's talking to clear. Forky and dragging him back, when he's like, "It's like, damn, how far to the RV park? Five point three miles. I can make that." Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're a rag. How how long is your gate woody like yeah. three inches maybe you yeah. can make five and a half miles his, dragging a spork over the course of the night energy. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, 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 i'm sorry i should have done the math before i got here to actually calculate Figure the amount of time would it would have take. taken oh, it yeah. would have taken weeks so, yeah, yeah probably sure, yeah. Can, can we take a, a quick pause too to just say <laughs> fuck you bonnie um because <laughs> woody i'm sorry andy had very specific requests at the end of toy story 3 yeah <laughs> where he broke down for her like look this is now i'm thinking about it and saying it and i realize i have two kids of my own and if i were to go to my six-year-old yeah. and say this is a really important toy to daddy please yeah. protect it'd be in the fucking garbage in like two yeah. weeks yeah. so <laughs> but yeah like <laughs> but the first time i saw this movie i was like you had one job bonnie and yeah. that was <laughs> to, to make sure what he was toys yeah make sure what he was taken care of like he was the special one no but she's she ripping do? the sheriff she badge off and putting badge. it on yeah. jesse yeah. yeah gives him to jesse like all right sure uh female yeah. empowerment sticking you know, him in the gotta... closet with melephant brooks and <laughs> bitey white and whoever else was there yeah, whatever actors were on their deathbeds that needed a voice acting job to pay their medical bills Carl before Rhinoceros they died and some other shit yeah. i looked at those names in uh-huh. the credits yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like uh it, it was um 
it was just like this all-star cast where if dad saw the cast, he'd be like, oh, this is the greatest movie ever because of this one sequence where you've got um, everybody, including Don Rickles, all in a single sequence, all one after the yeah, other. Yeah, and then you'd be mm. like, well, did you like the story about a man feeling lost in his life and finding purpose? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was fine too, I guess. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Melephant Brooks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a wonderful name. Yes, Melephant Brooks. Like, that's great. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I think Woody's character is so fascinating. Is seeing him go through this, and you know, he's he's a, you know just going after Forky and going after Forky, and then finally, it's like he realizes that he maybe actually wants something for himself aside from purpose, and sees Bo's lamp in the window of this antique shop, and decides to to go in there, and then he that's kind of the beginning of his. Uh, dealing with the idea of like, yeah, I need to get Forky back to Bonnie so Bonnie can be happy and I can have purpose in life. But also, what if I could have purpose in life in a different way that is outside of everything I've ever known as a toy, everything that life has told me that I need to exist for the purpose of pleasing a child and as the only way that I can get gratification out of life. What if I could get a different kind of gratification that is uh, apart from societal norms and like begins this identity crisis that he is having as he's trying to figure out, I want to see Bo, but I want to have purpose through Bonnie and how do I reconcile those things? Yeah. And then Buzz trying to explore what the hell his inner conscious is. His inner voice. His inner voice. He's just... Uh, another thing that they play up for laughs. Um, And there's so much coincidence going on with Buzz's inner voice that I will allow Mm -hmm. it because it's funny. They know how to do the comedic timing on it. But I was also just like, well, that, that feels like a really throwaway thing. Like Buzz could have had a more yeah. profound understanding and moment, but instead he's just like, oh yeah, it's just, I push these buttons and that tells me what I do. Buzz uh, has a very sweet moment with Woody at the end of the movie, but up yep. until that, it does feel like the writer's trying to figure out like, oh yeah, we have to put Buzz in this thing, right? The audience is going to expect that what can we do with him to like get him on screen for 10 minutes so that people aren't mad. And honestly, I was fine with that. Like, yeah. I don't really care about buzz. I don't need him to be on screen for a big portion of the movie. All these movies are about Woody buzz only matters in the way that he can, uh, impact Woody's character. That's really it. And he serves his purpose in the movie. It's kind of stupid, but then like it ends in a really sweet moment. And I was totally fine with that. Yeah, his uh are you is she going to be all right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, Bonnie's going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. Which other character do do you want to talk about Dixon? Do you have others? I really list? want to talk about Duke Kaboom. Okay, yeah, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves Duke in Kaboom. a wonderful role as Duke Kaboom. Rejon. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian daredevil motorcycle rider who cannot make any of the jumps that he's supposed to make. Nobody just... can crash like Duke Kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's just constantly posing, and that's just all. He, he just wants to act like he can do things, but he knows that he can't actually do anything. And like that's also the source of all of his insecurities because that led to Rajon not liking him because he couldn't do what he could do in the commercial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, like that was, I, that character's hilarious. Keanu was just great in, in that part, like perfectly cast. Yeah. There's, there's interesting to talk about, like in terms of not, not just, uh, Duke Boom poses an interesting topic of discarded toys and what happens to them. Like in every Toy Story movie, there is kind of this question of like when a toy is sort of left behind or what happens to it. Like 
Toy Story 1, Sid fucks up all those toys in a really messed up way. And mm-hmm. they're all just made into abominations, but they're still sweet at heart and like just trying to survive and live their lives in his domain. And then like in the third one, yeah, like all of the toddlers are looked at as like a ferocious pack of piranhas. <laughs> They'll like rip every possible toy to pieces and have like no regard for it. And that's what play is for them. And then in this one, you get like an antique shop where everything comes to die. Like it is the retirement home. It is where Mm -hmm. you go to just collect dust and nobody really wants to buy any of it. They just walk through and stare at the memories in the past. Um, And I I just wanted to like reflect on that. Did y'all pull anything from kind of the different environments here? Like, especially obviously of the dummies, there's an excuse to throw Mm -hmm. in these vintage things, but uh, were there any other kind of like motifs or did you see any, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a the an, antique shop is an interesting place because it has there's the sadness and melancholy of the antique shop that is really told best through Gabby Gabby and her story. And definitely want to get into that. But there's also like the underground bar where Duke Kaboom is and like the zebra <laughs> that's been split in half and like all this <laughs> other stuff. And it's like there is a, a freedom in that too, where these toys are getting like, yeah, nobody's going to come by us. So we can just like hang out and live our own lives and hang out with other toys and do whatever we want and not have to live by the, you know, the, the code that every other toy has to live by. And then that kind of extends out into the, the real world in the park where, you know, these lost toys are just hanging out in the park until like busloads of kids come by so they can just hang out and play with random kids for 30 minutes at a time. And so I think that there's kind of this idea in Toy Story 4 of like, you don't have to fulfill this purpose. You can live a life outside of that and do other things. And, you know, there is maybe maybe that is what you want in life. And that's okay if you want to find purpose through pleasing a child. Like if with Gabby Gabby's arc, like that's great. If you want to experience that, go for it. But also if you don't, you can be Bo Peep. You can be Duke Kaboom. You can live your own life and do your own thing and have fun doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the the moments that I really appreciated um, in the antique shop too was one of the moments when Woody starts to kind of understand from Bo Peep's perspective, like why she's okay with being a lost toy. And that's when they're high above everything else. And they're actually looking at all the chandeliers and there's this just kind of beautiful menagerie of all of the, the prisms from the light. And it's just this subtle moment of appreciation that Woody has and it has to dawn on him too. Like if I was stuffed in the RV, you know, or tucked away in a closet because I'm not being played with anymore, I'm not going to get something like this and actually get to experience it. And here I am like experiencing this with the woman that I've, always loved since they have really been an item since the very first toy story. Mm -hmm. And I have the freedom to actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like the moments of Woody kind of realizing he hasn't paid attention to a lot around him in his life. Like it's kind of symbolized with Billy goat and gruff. Yeah. uh, Which he thinks Billy goat and gruff. Those are my girls. Yeah. (laughs) My girls. (laughs) Uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, And then he he just, what is, what do you like calls them? Like, Bobby and Dave and like lefty or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this clear, like, I have no idea who you are. Yeah. I, I didn't know they had names. Yep. Like, and then the subtle eye roll he does when, um, Duke Kaboom gets their names. Correct. Uh, it's just, it's so perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it stands to show that he still has a bit to grow and he's like being humbled and learning while he's in this antique shop that it's not the worst thing to be, uh, without a child. Um, and then uh, can we, okay, let's talk about Gabby Gabby. Yeah. yeah. Cause we're in the antique store anyway. 
Yeah. Um, I think Gabby Gabby's character is fascinating because she is like objectively a villain in a lot of ways. She's a terrible person. She is inflicting her own like angst and disappointment on all of these other toys around her and like creating a lot of pain for a lot of people. Uh, but like at her core, she just like wants to, you know, have what every other toy wants to have. And she wants to be with a little girl and give her happiness. And, you know, she's defective with her voice box. And so she feels like that is the reason that she's never gotten that opportunity. And it's like, you know, they they walk the line really well with that character where like she is she's evil in a lot of ways and you hate her for a lot of the movie. But also you understand why she's like that and you're rooting for her at the same time. And I think that's just really impressive that in a kid's movie, they can create craft such a nuanced character and get people to understand what she's going through. And like maybe the most heartbreaking scene in any Pixar movie is when like finally like, you know, she gets the dolls to rip Woody's voice box out and put it into her. She's like, great. Harmony is finally going to love me now. The girl that's always coming into the shop that she's constantly pining after. And they, you know, set it up. They pull the string. Harmony finds her, looks at her. And then she's like, their grandma's like, oh, if you want the toy, you can have it. And she kind of looks at her, she's like, ah, now whatever. And tosses her in a cardboard box and turns it around and walks away. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it just hits you like a ton of bricks when that, when that happens. And like in that scene, you're like, ah, she's fucking awful. But also like, I really want this moment of, of happiness for her, for her to finally get what she wants. And yeah, I, I think it's just really interesting how they pull that off. See, that's the only thing that I didn't really like too much about the movie was it felt like the pacing for Gabby's arc was just a little too fast for me. There wasn't oh, like interesting. those kind of the moment that when you think about like when you first meet Gabby, it's when she like pulls Woody in, she notices he has the voice box. There's like a lot of tells that she's very suspicious and uh-huh. something seems wrong. And it all feels a little bit too like forced for me. But then again, I don't know what kind of subtlety you can really get in a kid's movie where you have to convey this character is, has malicious intent. Um, and then you're going to subvert it later. But like we pan away from a lot of sequences where she's getting to know Forky and she's, he's telling her all about Woody. There's all of these things there. They don't pull the curtain back because I think it would ruin the illusion that she is like just pure evil or mm-hmm. she has some kind of um, hang up about it. I, I would have loved to have seen um, more instances of like Bo alludes to her as being really weird and like has some sort of you can tell there's a history, but you never really hear too much other than uh, she's got like all of those dummies, Benson's and um, she she just kind of like sits in that antique cabinet up there and like has them keep watch for whatever. I, I would have loved to have seen a few more interactions where either they asserted more malicious things that could be subverted later and it would make more sense after you learn about why mm-hmm. um, or that they just would have had a little bit more time to to really warm up to her to like have that initial splash of she really wants to force Woody to give her the voice box. And then later she tries the sweet approach. But it seems like both times she just kind of confronts him and is like, look, I'm bringing the army of Benson's with me. There isn't like that moment where they really connect. Like Woody only just starts to realize it because he's going through other shit. I feel like where he has this moment of like, I, if I am actually committed to my, uh, my motto of like helping other toys find kids and that kind of stuff, then I should help Gabby too. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like there needed to be a little bit more for me. Um, yeah, I, I think for me it was like, 
when she's talking with Forky and she's pulling out the book mm-hmm. and like here, here's what I'm supposed to do. She's doing the teacup. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, like I need to be with Harmony. She's doing tea time. She's mm-hmm. reading the book. And it's like, she just, you realize that everything she's doing, all the evil machinations are just to get that thing that like she is meant to do, right? That the book says, this is your purpose in life. And this is what you're supposed to do. This is like her Bible that she's like, this is everything I want in life is what this thing says that I need to do. And even though she's doing all this horrible shit to get there, I still empathized with that mm-hmm. desire to achieve what she wanted in life. And like, she's very misguided in doing a bunch of horrible shit to get there. But still when that moment happened and she's like, got the voice, got Woody's voice box and got Harmony's attention. I'm rooting for her because I want her to achieve that and understand what that's like. And also I want the other toys to not live under her tyranny at the same time, you know? So there's like a win-win situation. Like, please let this work out. Everybody would be much better off. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I love the most about her arc is if you look at Lotso and even Jesse from the Mm -hmm. second toy story, they both had owners who loved them for a certain period of time and then discarded them. And which one is Lotso again? Lotso was the bear. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah. The in, in, in yeah. Toy Story Three, who yeah, ran yeah, yeah. the 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 daycare center, and the thing I love the most about Gabby Gabby is that she was basically born defective yeah. and just never had an opportunity to do that thing, and so. Um, you know, you want to talk about existential crises and this is the thing that's the most amazing about the parallels, right? Like Forky was made by Gabby and is trying, Bonnie, Bonnie, sorry, Bonnie. Yeah. was made by Bonnie and is constantly trying to throw himself away as trash. And Gabby was made defective and all she wants is a kid to love her. And so you've got this dichotomy of these two characters. And that's why I love the bonding sequence between the two of them. Yeah. Forky essentially is a newborn who is just learning about the world around him, has learned what he has from Woody and is parroting that back along with any information he has to Gabby. And Gabby, on the opposite side of things, has literally just sat on a shelf her entire existence, wanting to be played with, wanting to be owned, um, and just can't do it and believes that the way to that is to have that voice box that will work. Um, And like you were saying, Mike, um, I really think that a lot of what's happening in the tyranny and just the the way that she has the dummies... um, going about doing all of the evil that she's doing and the antique shop is to prevent like the, her kid um, from falling in love with any other toy other than her. So Mm -hmm. if Harmony were to fall in love with any other toy and that could have been why we don't know, it's never revealed, but it could have been why um, Bo Peep like ran from the antique shop in the first place. I think that's what I wanted to see though, is I don't recall in the movie, any sequence in which the dummies actively rip another toy away from Harmony's sight, or, you know, that toy has this glimmer of hope and Gabby snuffs it out. Like that would have been, I think that would have been something that solidified for me, the, the actual tyranny that she imposes, but I don't remember seeing any beyond whenever Woody's in the antique store. And that might just be because we follow Woody so closely and they only want to show us certain sequences with Gabby and Forky and her love of harmony. But uh, just seeing like the Bensons actually be the muscle around the antique store outside of a Woody chase scene mm-hmm. would have probably solidified a little bit more for me. How... There definitely is a watch like in a guard like yeah. sequence that they they all have their fucking uh, beats that they walk yep. around the cabinet and they have their creepy turning heads mm-hmm. that like follow a very specific cadence. And... Yeah, I, I won't say like it. 
it still resonates with me and I still feel her arc and I cheer for her to find a child. Like that last sequence where she ends up, Woody helps her find a child. So heartwarming mm-hmm. and so sweet. Yeah. Um, and I, I absolutely love that bit. It's, it's the in-between segment where they're really building up the mythos of who Gabby is in the antique store and how she runs it that I don't see enough of to, to feel the snap is hard. I feel like when she gets tossed into, to the, the, the bin. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, uh, that's my only grievance really with the movie is I would like to have had a little more time with Gabby in her world. Um, yeah. And quick question, John, in, yep. in lieu of more of that world building, if they had, if they had put another Randy Newman track to her being <laughs> yeah. thrown in the box, would that have done it for you? I um, just want to be a toy. Wake up, kid. I don't know what Randy uh, Newman sings. He just has like a stroke every time and just says words. <laughs> I, I, I do have to, to also applaud like Pixar's choice for the child that ultimately found Gabby because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like if it had been an illumination film or even a DreamWorks film, um, it would have been Bonnie that she most likely would have wound up with. Mm-hmm. And we would have all seen it coming. We would have been like, oh, yeah, of course, it, you know, it, it winds up being this way. And it's sad that Woody's leaving. He's but joining the crew now. Exactly. They tease it a number of times, Part of too. The they said toy see you in yeah. the next one. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things, too, where like it's just it, Pixar for the 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 films of theirs that I consider to be top tier like top shelf it they are that way because they respect the adults that are going to the films to yeah. watch and also understand that the kids that are watching might not get it now but they're going to remember it fondly when they get older and they're going to appreciate it for what it is whereas some of the other animation studios just take the very very tried and true easy way out That's so in the Super Mario Brothers movie yeah, and it, pretty much anything by Illumination. Um, you know, I have yet to watch one of their movies where I'm like, I didn't see that coming. Um, well, most yeah. of their movies are about earplugs. So, you know, there's only so much you can do. It's true. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that sequence actually was the sequence that got me was when the, the little girl was crying and was lost mm-hmm. and Gabby Gabby like got her attention. Yeah, and it's two lost souls finding each other in their moment of need. Yep. And yeah, it. It works together re- really well, and it it feels like that was that's the right arc for that character and and the ending for that story. Yeah, yeah. and they have that whole moment too, where they kind of set it up. They tee that up before she uh, finds that kid. That Woody's like, I know a girl that would love you. It's Bonnie, and they're like running to get to Bonnie's place, and then they have that whole moment where Woody's like, Are you sure this is what you want? Woody also is not, he's no longer concerned about Bonnie in that moment and giving Bonnie something new. He's kind of just like, mm-hmm. he's really concerned about Gabby and he, it shows that he's had so much growth in his consideration of other toys. He's no longer concerned about his kid. He's concerned about the other toys around him, trying to make sure that they are happy and that they have fulfillment. They don't have to sit in dark boxes and that they can find. Like, I love the in sequence of them liberating toys from Bill Hader uh, who's like yeah. running the carny uh, game. That, uh. That's just like a fun moment where it's like, all right, I like, I like this little, you know, epilogue. It's nice to see they're out there fighting the good fight for all the toys that are hung up and uh, people being cheated out of money too. Sure. Why not? Uh. Um, but yeah, that, that whole last sequence um, also just talking about how toys can sabotage. I've never seen toys go so hard trying to crash a family van or the RV oh, as yeah. they do in that sequence. <laughs> Um, 
hilarious to me that like you know the jeff garland unicorn is like we're gonna every idea is we're gonna send dad to jail <laughs> yeah and then like you know they do this whole thing where they're like take over control of the rv and they like drive it crazily through pedestrian walkways in the carnival over to the merry-go-round or a carousel if you're forky yeah uh you know so to meet up with woody and the cops pull them over and talk to them for five seconds and then let them go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, wow, that's some white fucking shit right there. Yep. Well, let, yeah. this, this nice white family. Oh, yeah, it's a rental car. You didn't understand what the brake did. Okay, cool. Just have a nice, have a nice life. Move along, sir. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Just wow. They yeah, they they fucked up so much uh, shit. Yeah, between that, the okay, I'll say those are the only other two minor grievances for me is like the cops did uh, sure why not but this seems like i a feel small like the town. movie did that in kind of a knowing way uh-huh that like yeah i don't, I don't know M- maybe the people who wrote this movie feel like that's just how cops are because they're all a bunch of like rich white people that's their their i you know interactions with cops but to me it felt like a knowing thing like yeah we know this is not realistic it, it just needs like, to happen like hey look you uh-huh. know you want to complain to us about the cops being lenient uh why don't you complain to us about the toys sabotaging an rv to get to that point right like, yeah, that, yeah that's like the question of logic um yeah but yeah uh that that in the line earlier when like Polly pocket or whoever the small giggles make something make something yeah yeah uh is giggles like, mcdimples yeah giggles mcdimples yeah. is just like i think oh <laughs> fellow officer of the law to woody and i was like is there uh like a, a cop embrace in the toy circles. Like if you're made as a law enforcement uh, toy, you're like the Paw Patrol. Uh, are you actively going to be fascist or is there, how does that work? Um, Woody and Buzz too, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, space Rangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Somebody's got to protect the galaxy. <laughs> out, out policing the galaxy. <laughs> Buzz is from the knockoff starship troopers line. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now y'all had brought up um, the like the focus, and I didn't want to mm-hmm. let us forget that because I think it is important to kind of talk through that. So John, you had you had brought it up, and Mike, I know you had talked about it as well, Dixon. So well, yeah, they. Uh, uh, I mean, there's so many things we can't really describe a lot of the focal pull, but the focus used here it's something that's been constantly iterated on in the animated space. You want to give the feeling that you're watching a movie like uh, Wally is another Pixar movie aside yeah. from Toy Story. That love Wally. Would love mm-hmm. to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Wally's the first Pixar movie that uses uh, sort of the handheld camera work um, and zooms. And like they had focal depth that was added into that movie to give it that pristine sheen and that feeling like you're actually watching a movie. Uh, you're watching like a live action movie of this robot going around and Pixar clearly like has been wanting to experiment with now what do like different lens types look like? How can Mm -hmm. we do something that's anamorphic? Uh, That's part of why I think there are those two Kubrick references. uh, Which, what are those two references? Um, One is they're playing uh, the song from the shining in the antique store. I can't remember what the the Uh name of it is at the moment. Um, And the other is, Amidst all of Buzz's button presses, one of them is open the pod bay oh, doors. Yes. And it just like does uh-huh. that. And I was yeah. like, okay. Um, I, I was trying to figure out. Which that's he, what the humans say. Yeah. I was frantically searching through those. Like, you should have sang Daisy. When he <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should. Yeah. When he powers down. Yeah. Or no, the robot that needs a battery that uh, Bo ignores in the oh, arcade yeah. machine should have sang Daisy. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> but I'm um, willing to bet 
bet they didn't do that though because robots already did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, robots did. Yes, with Mel Brooks' character oh, okay. when they were changing out his memory unit, he wound up singing Daisy. I've not seen robots in a long time. Yes. I so. have yes. Not so, seen robots. Oh, period. So, you're yeah. not really missing much. I mean, Robin for, Williams has a that. pretty amazing. I mean, it's got Robin Williams and Mel Brooks, that's so that's know. pretty yeah. awesome. But <laughs> it's 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 one of those that's easily forgettable. So yeah. you're not missing much there. Um, yeah, there's a. Uh, now it got me to think about robots. I can't stop thinking about yeah. how they attach a tiny penis to the robot boys in that movie. <laughs> oh. Like they ship a baby box. I'm going to mark this because I'm cutting it out. But they ship a baby box <laughs> to the robot family when they're like, we're going to have kids. And they assemble the child and then they fucking hammer the penis into it. They just hammer yeah. that dick on it. Instead <laughs> of hammering it off. Yeah. Instead of doing on. the circumcision, yes. yeah. it's a circumcision or in- oh. engine. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Insertion. <laughs> Insertion. I don't but yeah. they Circumventions. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they do I some shit. Sir some print. Let's make sure we don't give him uh, any power. Give me give me a pour. <laughs> um yeah, uh, uh anyways, yeah, they nail the dick on a robot. Any anyhow, we're going back to um In case you haven't noticed, folks, we're drinking whiskey while we're doing this podcast, which is something we very rarely do. Uh, never, um, never on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think John, to your point back forever ago about the focus before we got on that tangent, yep. uh, the um, it, it's like it, it's so much more realistic that way, right? And it's like you're imitating a camera, but you're also imitating just like the human eye and how we mm-hmm. view things, right? And so it's like I feel like sometimes people like when you see it in animation, sometimes people are like, whoa, that's weird. Like you know, it's like it's not a camera like i just want to look at woody talking in the background and i can't because he's blurry but it's like that's that's how your eye works like if you know you're focusing on something in the foreground you're not going to see something in the background clearly and it just adds this level of realism that just works really well and and for a second like when that scene happened for a second i didn't real i didn't notice it because i was just so pulled into it and then i was like holy shit like this is really incredible that they're doing this and like capturing the depth of field in a way that feels so realistic and it almost adds a a 3d feeling to the movie even though it's not rendered in 3d there's there's this aspect of it too and you're thinking about it because if you go back and watch any cg movies from the early 2000s or late all completely flat they're flat it's just totally flat and it just your eye can go anywhere in the frame and you're really lacking that language that film provides uh, Mm -hmm. with that cinematic depth to to draw the audience eye and to obscure certain things it's like, it's like a more pronounced difference of like watching a movie shot on film and watching a digitally shot movie where like mm-hmm. a digitally shot movie looks very flat and that you're not getting that same depth. But like with animation, it's even it's even more so it's very heightened. Yeah. And and so it's it's interesting because you basically have to video games have the same thing. You have to try to recreate these elements of real life in another medium that will convince you that uh, you're watching a movie or you're engaged with these characters and like. Um, there's like a, a, an entire video game series. It's very Indiana Jones, like where they had to go and like custom animate the wrinkles on the face of characters just to make sure that you actually could emote and empathize with the characters. Um, whereas other games, it's like, they just move the mouth up and down and that's going to get you, you know, Oh, you get the dialogue out and then you get onto the gameplay. But like, if you care enough about the cinematics, you have to care enough to simulate parts of the essence. Just talking about the physics in this movie, talking about the cinematic focal depth here. Um, all of these other elements, like the dust, like the lighting system in this, where they mm-hmm. have to show the dust a certain way. And you definitely, it's insane to think about 
that there's a slider on the on a computer somewhere that you're like, I want more dust grain here. I want this house to look like it's been empty for 60 years. Like, what does that mm-hmm. look like? Um, and somebody went and programmed and found out all the math and shit to do that. And it's just like, all right. And now we render it on a farm that takes, you know, however many thousands of gallons of water to cool. And then we serve it up to everybody on film. It's so yeah. beautiful <laughs> and fucking rad. And uh, like Pixar has made several movies since Toy Story 4. I have never seen a CG animated movie that looks as realistic as Toy Story 4. And it's like, it, it's just mind blowing to see this all come together. Like, I, and I've, it's unclear. There's a rumor that Toy Story 4 is the first animated movie that has ever been rendered in 4K. And I have not been able to confirm it online. Like, I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but like, it fucking looks so good. Like, I would not be surprised if it were actually rendered in 4K, but. Um, it's also, it's not just the realism. There's also like, they create, uh, you know, false realism to make it feel more real in some circumstances. Like I, I saw them, they talked about that, uh, opening sequence where it's raining outside mm-hmm. and how a lot of people had, had told the makers of the movie, like, oh my God, I can't believe you made the rain look so realistic. And they were like, we made the raindrops four times bigger than they would be in real yep. life. But like, we did that to make it feel more visceral and to like, like it's a heightened realism that's like not necessarily what it would be like in real life, but it draws you into the story more and it makes you feel like you're there and like you're experiencing what's going on and it makes it feel more real than if you just rendered the raindrops at normal raindrop size compared to how big the toys are supposed to be. Animation basics on like, you have to exaggerate certain features. You have to choose what you're exaggerating and what you're not. Like I know one of the most basic animation tutorials anybody can take is how to make a ball bounce and it's like you can make a ball bounce just like a tennis ball does and it doesn't look real you don't register it in your mind as bouncing with any force Mm -hmm. but then you take that ball and you squish it a little bit and then you pop it back up and suddenly your mind's like oh there's force behind this and Mm -hmm. that's like the difference between animation and kind of doing real life is that you have to figure out how much you want to simulate up to a point and then you have to fudge the numbers and really accentuate it and so like while it looks hyper real and there are so many moments of the the characters and the toys that it's like, oh, my God, I could totally see picking that up and playing with it. Um, there are, you know, a dozen other elements in the frame that are probably heightened to give your brain that feeling. It's like when you think about a memory and something feels way more vivid and then you go back and it's different. Yeah, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. I think one of the other things that's interesting, you guys are talking about focus and what it really reminds me of is, is as much as I love the golden age of Disney, where we got, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and mm-hmm. Lion King, um, there is something to be said. And John, you might know the name of the technique and style that was utilized. The old Disney animation where you would have animated cells on top of, I believe it was just like wood mm-hmm. that they were, they literally placed layers of a sequence mm-hmm. that was made out of real materials so that as you were like moving through it, you got perspective shifts. They did the framing. And, yeah. And it, it, I forget what the actual technique was called, but it, um, it added this whole level of depth where there was this dissonance between the characters, but at the same time, because the backgrounds look so unique, mm-hmm. it added that depth. And then when you started to get more to where it was all just pure animation as they were shifting and preparing to start implementing like subtle pieces of computer generated content it got flat and then you got to the pieces where you were adding in computer generated content in select places so you got flat 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 and then computer generated and then flat 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 
And then we got to, you know, CG where it was very flat for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then we're at this point now where we're actually starting to get some of the modern techniques. I think like the opening of of Bambi or one of those movies has, it's basically like this machine with like six or seven different layered slots that you insert each different part of the background into. And that creates the parallax depth to get through into a forest and see these things. And yeah, yeah. After a while, I feel like it's that you got to compress it down as technology evolves to try to figure out what you're doing. And then you build it back up later. Like yeah. the CG had to accept being flat for several years because the tech couldn't handle what, what you were trying to do with focal depth. And now we can add these elements like camera shake and uh, focal depth to it. And it's just like the new medium has to evolve and get its legs back under it to get back on frame. That's fast. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about it. Like and like, you know, fucking Snow White from 19... 19- 39 or whatever it's mm-hmm. like that is some of the best tech disney has ever done still right you know it's like yeah. it's crazy the stuff that they were able to do then and it like kind of devolved and then it evolves again from there yeah that, that's pretty fascinating rotoscoping that's rotoscoping. the name of yeah, the yeah. technique yes that's oh where you put it richard linklater yeah. yeah yep <laughs> um yeah, that the, or Charles just, Schwab commercials. Yeah, yes, rotoscoping is also yeah. It's like when you like film somebody too, and you can draw over it, and yep. it's yeah. like the sketches and everything. Yeah, yeah. That take on me video. That's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think before one last thing on the presentation, as our listeners are all getting bored, uh, I, I think the the lighting is so incredible in this movie, and like they most animated movies take place during the day, mm-hmm. right? They're really trying to use like oh, we have bright colors, we have sunlight and stuff, and the vast majority of Toy Story 4 takes place at night and in dark interiors, and you have light come through the sides of the frames in really fascinating ways, and it looks incredible every time. Like the, the way that you have the dimly lit areas and the light coming through in certain sides, creating shadows, creating these really fascinating pictures. Like it's, it, a lot of the movie looks like a fucking Caravaggio painting. It's, like, it's, it's really weird to see how this all comes together and it looks so beautiful. And um, I think that also might be a reason why some people like weren't as into this movie. It has just kind of a darker tone because of that. Like it's literally darker than the majority of animated movies. And um, I, but I think it's so beautiful the way they do that. And like Mark, you were talking about that chandelier scene um, in the antique store where, you know, you have this very dark, dusty antique store, but, the sunset coming through the chandelier mm-hmm. and creating this, this lighting. And the, the way they do all that is, is just wild. Like it's it just every, every frame of this thing looks so fucking good. That's kind of like the benefits too, of working in a 3d space in the CG space is that you can play with lighting where, you know, cameras, you take them out at night and you start getting grain. Like you really have to get mm-hmm. bigger sensors, bigger lenses. It's suddenly production cost is up because you're renting all this shit and trying to get like one shot and you got to get, the lighting the right way and all of these kits are here or this or that. And here it's like, no, we can accentuate it. We can do these things. We can shoot at night as often as we want to. And as long as we want to, and Mm -hmm. we don't have to wait for that time. We can kind of perfect these sequences. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, I I never really want to see a Pixar movie where they go for just realism. I want to see the hyper realism that they're doing. I want to see them continue. That's kind of the point of of animation, right? Yeah. And you don't want just realism. You want some sort of heightened aspect. Exactly. Otherwise, you end up with the uncanny valley. And then you're in this whole space where you've got, you know, Princess Leia's deep faked face and whatever else. And you're (laughs) like, I don't want this. I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) What if Wes Anderson made Star Wars? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um. Well, yeah. Any other? Yeah. uh, So before we get to the end of the movie, I want to briefly talk about 
Ducky and Bunny. And and John, you were saying that those are like kind of a, a downside of the film for you, the Key and Peel characters. I thought they were great. Um, you know, like it is Key and Peel, and there's definitely that aspect of I know that's Key and Peel, and mm-hmm. it, it it is it could potentially pull you out of the movie to some degree. But I thought they were so good together and like they're these carnival toys that have just been hanging up there forever traveling from town to town never being one mm-hmm. and they've developed this like weird complex about like being the top prize and and you know kind of having some sort of pride about actually never going home with anybody because they're like the the hardest thing to win and like they're stuck together for their whole lives and so like they have yeah. this weird key and peel complex like they're gonna have kind of connected personalities in that way and like a weird love hate relationship. Um, but I thought they were hilarious th- throughout the movie. And then um, there's kind of that subversion, the same subversion with Gabby where Woody's like, I can get you a kid. I can bring you to Bonnie. You want a kid? I'll get you a kid yeah. by three o'clock today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, they actually, they actually do have a character arc by the end of the movie. Like, you know what? we're cool never having this. Like we thought we wanted this. Turns out we don't. Mm -hmm. We like being with each other. We like being with Woody and Bo Peep and these other characters and, and helping other toys potentially achieve this, this dream of theirs for a few hours before being thrown away, like every carnival toy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think that I, I, I thought they were really funny. I enjoyed their, their banter throughout the film, but I do think there is, a little bit more to those characters and it's not as overt as Gabby Gabby's mm-hmm. arc, but it is there in the movie. And like, this is the, this is the third time I've seen it now. And, and their arc was a little bit more apparent to me this time that I watched it. Um, but yeah, I, I think those, I think they're both very good in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I laughed at all of the sequences. I, it's just one of those things where like, especially I'm when that so, Bernard Herman score kicks yeah, in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, the Randy Newman score. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh yeah the uh the that whole sequence um or just any of the their scenes i like i really enjoyed i laughed at i thought the comedy was there it's just one of those things where like when you see it and you know who they are outside of it it immediately it starts to pull me it's hard to not focus on the fact that they are the same characters who hang out in front of the the valet spot and like hype each other up all the time but at the same time, it's fucking hilarious. So I, I'm yeah. like, all right, yeah, it's not gonna, it's not a big detriment for me. And they also improvise a lot of their lines. And I think if they, if they had just cast two random voice actors and just written everything, yep. it wouldn't have been as funny. And I don't think it would have been as personal either, like the relationship between those two characters, because Keen Peel basically just invented those characters out of their ass and and just like, you know, just spitballed in the recording booth until that all came together they're great at improv they they do fucking mm-hmm. solid work <laughs> yeah. There's seasons of a show just prove it so. mm-hmm. i i think one of the things i do appreciate and this kind of goes back to um the point i made earlier too about pixar's choice on how to end gabby gabby's arc is that in every single one of their toy story movies they're not so afraid of introducing and embracing like the new characters that they're mm-hmm. bringing into the fold Um, again, with some of the other animation studios, they really play it safe and they're like, oh, very clearly people loved these characters. Like a great example is fucking minions, right? Like Mm -hmm. every despicable Mm -hmm. me basically just piles on minions more and more and more until you're just completely sick of them. And 
Instead, Literally, they made a movie that was just minions. Minions, right? exactly. I yeah. didn't see that movie, but like that's just what it was. It's just earplugs with yeah. the overalls. The whole Illumination movie. Studios yeah. has all those letters that break that just say minions at the beginning of a title card. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and like, Sing, which I know because J- Jackson's been watching it for like the last three weeks on I'm repeat. Sorry. So, oh no, yeah, I'm so sorry. yeah. If we get into recommend and refute for another episode, I'll, I'll definitely refute that film. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> um, but I digress. Like the thing I love is like you know going back to the fact that we we spent so much time with Woody in Toy Story 1, 2, 3, and 4. Mm. Like in Toy Story 2, we spent a ton of time with Jesse, Bullseye, and the Prospector. Like we brought in these new characters yeah. mm-hmm. and the film was not afraid to say, this is who you're going to be spending your time with. Mm-hmm. And so then audiences were happy to bring in Jesse and Bullseye into the fold. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we did explore a couple of fun things in Toy Story 3 with the existing characters. And that was really because for a lot of those characters, it was almost their swan song. Like this is the last time you're really right. going to truly spend this time with these toys but then this time we get duke kaboom we get you know ducky and bunny and uh and then we get more on bo peep and gabby gabby and we spend all this time with these characters that we hadn't been introduced before but truthfully from just a movie making perspective that's way more fucking interesting to me while we're seeing woody figure his shit out than if we just heard buzz use whatever catchphrases they decided he needs to use again and mr potato like there's only so many ways you can make don rickles and mr potato head funny i don't need it rex anymore you know like i get it i understand he's just He's a yeah. terrified di- dinosaur. Yeah, he's a dinosaur with uh-huh. anxiety. Yeah, yeah. The, the irony that the king of dinosaurs would be that anxious. Yeah, yeah. nervous yeah. and anxious uh-huh. and everything like that. I love like, Wallace Shawn, but uh, it yeah. was funny in the first Toy Story. That's all I need. I don't yep. need any more of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and so exploring and taking the time to say this is a universe you're comfortable with. We know you enjoy it, but we want to spend a little more time on these toys here is way more worthwhile and appreciative to us as, as moviegoers than if they just played it safe and said, here's the same toys, you know, and love. We're just going to recycle a bunch of lines. And then you walk out of the movie theater and you're like, what the fuck did I watch? Was JJ Abrams involved? Because that's what it fucking felt like. <laughs> uh, also props to them for um, not shying away from making characters that could never be productized and merchandised. Uh, I don't think anybody would want to buy a Gabby Gabby. And I don't think anybody would want to buy a Benson the dummy. Um, mm-hmm. I remember Toy Story 2, shit ton of Zerg toys. All sorts. Oh, yeah. That was all over the place. Could you um, imagine if like you go to a Target and there's an entire aisle of Benson the dummies just staring <laughs> at you as you're walking The down. head really moves. <laughs> <laughs> Eye tracking technology. Uh, what if there was like an entire generation of ventriloquists that came out of this? Oh, my God. <laughs> just bought Benson's as That's children. what I was actually thinking was like a lot of people were like, these dummies are creepy as shit. Even the Pixar people included were like, we got the right essence of creepiness uh, for yep. them. I just know there's some kid out there that's like, I want to do that. <laughs> After I murder this cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I really want to talk about the end of the movie and I'm curious to hear, hear your guys thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. After, you know, the absurd sequence of the toys driving the RV to mm-hmm. the, the carousel and getting the dad to have to talk to the police for a couple minutes, yeah. uh, you know, Woody and and crew are fleeing from the antique store and and going to the roof of the merry-go-round and like the when I saw this movie the first time in theaters I was like okay I know what's happening here like Woody's going to go back with the crew and go with Bonnie and and it's all going to end and it's going to be whatever and I it caught me so off guard the first time I saw it and I think it's just the perfect ending to the movie and the perfect way to wrap up Woody's character where he 
has had these bonding moments with Bo Peep throughout the movie, and he's remembering their previous life together, and he's imagining kind of, you know, what might this be if I actually decide to be a lost toy and do something that I never thought uh, was like an honorable life and something that I couldn't get any value out of and have any purpose doing. And, you know, then it comes to the point where, you know, he meets up with Buzz and all the old crew crew comes out on the roof and Buzz is like, you know, it's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And he thinks that he's talking about Bo and Buzz says, no, Bonnie's going to be okay. And Woody is like, holy shit, if Buzz is okay with this, like maybe I need to do it and decides like, no, I'm going to leave everything that I've ever known and valued and just go be a lost toy and live with Bo. And this thing that I feared my entire life, this lifestyle that I thought uh, would never provide anything for me, I'm going to dive into that and just go with this person I care about and try to live my life a new, a new way. And like, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's uh, an analogy for retirement in a lot of ways, right? He's leaving his occupation and what he's always thought his purpose was, you know what, I'm done with that now. I'm going to move on to the next phase of my life and stop clawing on to this false sense of purpose that I have to manufacture by constantly dragging Forky out of the fucking trash and, and all this stuff that he thinks he needs to provide meaning for himself. And like, it, it, it caught me completely off guard and it just punched me in the gut when I first saw this movie. And I was like at a fucking AMC with a bunch of kids and I was crying watching this movie. <laughs> and I was like, like it just moved me in a way that I was not expecting at all. And um, I, I thought it was just a perfect ending to the movie. And just like, it's, it's really why I love the movie so much. Like everything that we've talked about, all these new characters, all of the ways they're innovating animation are really cool. Woody's arc throughout is great, but that ending scene of the movie is so good. And I think just wraps everything up in a way that is just about perfect for the end of Woody's arc as a character. And it just ends in a really satisfying way. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, there's so many reasons that you remember a movie. And I think the most popular one is the way that it ends, the way that it can mm -hmm. possibly conclude is the most memorable because you're like, Oh, like you just went on that journey and you, maybe you don't remember how it started but you definitely always remember how it ends. Yeah. And that speaks volumes to how well, and I read some of the interviews with like the Pixar crew and the creatives behind it and how they were like, yeah, when we kind of finished toy story three, we thought, you know, that was going to be it. But then when we saw the story and we like actually understood what we were trying to do, we knew there was a reason to do it. And that's kind of that they followed their artistic intuition. Whereas you know, I don't know how the Cars franchise is going to end or when it's going to end. Uh, maybe it's with a Vin Diesel crossover as a, some some kind of car. It's going to be uh, like a, a self-driving computer is going to be grafted into Owen Wilson. Yeah, and he's exactly. Gonna, like not be himself anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have like I remember the first Cars just because it was so bland and mediocre and by the numbers and how it went that I knew I never needed to see it again. Yeah. Um, and that was like the worst way to be remembered. Like I remember parts of it and everything after that, I just remember Larry, the cable guy. And it's one of those things where like toy stories legacy is, uh, I remember Woody and I remember buzz and I remember a lot of the, the villains from each of the movies, but the way that this one ends, yeah, it just has that level of sentimentality that doesn't feel ham fisted. It feels so real mm -hmm. in its characters, realizations that, 
uh, I have this, I had the same, uh, quietly crying yesterday was what I was doing in yeah. my living room. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, Mark, I, I tell us about when you cried watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as a, definitely as a father, like the sequence with Gabby Gabby and everything, like that was the part that got me the mm. most. But to John's point, like about the movie being like more tuned towards like the dogma of religion, like and Dixon, I know you come from like a very, very like strict Christian upbringing and mm-hmm. everything for me, like <laughs> I, I distinctly remember when I shifted from Catholicism to agnosticism to eventually atheism and like the actual moments when I was willing to accept, like to reject the dogma, to accept what it potentially meant. If all of this imaginary stuff that they're talking about was real and what would that mean for my soul and eternal damnation and blah, 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 blah. And like, that was a really fucking hard thing to do. And Mm -hmm. so as I was watching Woody, like come to terms with the fact that like, I've had this purpose. This is my purpose. I've always known this is my purpose. Now the child that I've been assigned to doesn't care about me, cares about all these other things. And worse now, like I don't like essentially is holding tight and fast to trash or something that considers itself trash. Mm. And my job has now shifted to just ensuring that that trash doesn't throw itself away to now finally being like, I have no place. Like I've lost my voice box. Um, You know, I've given up a piece of, what made me an appealing toy to begin with. And I've accepted the fact that I'm giving up everything I've known and I'm going to basically forge my path moving ahead into this unknown space. And that just totally resonated with me um, in, in so many different levels. And I think, you know, one of the things I like from a movie going experience, a video game experience, a television experience, I tend to love stories that end with those kinds of bittersweet moments where there is something that is ultimately tragic happening, but at the same time, there's so much emotion and feeling because of the journey I've gone on. And no matter what it ultimately means, like just accepting that that is the way it it happens. Sometimes you're going to have things that are uncomfortable and you're going to have to learn to live with them. You know, Jurassic bark from Futurama is one of those episodes that I love. And then there are a couple of, video games I could point to, but I won't do it right now. But I just, I love those tales where everything isn't necessarily wrapped up in this neat, tight little package, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's not the illumination studios way. It it's isn't not the DreamWorks, you know, by the numbers. Well, and I'll say too, or even, like a lot of Pixar movies, like honestly. a lot of Pixar movies, yeah. like the cars way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're friends at the beginning. We're friends at the end. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> and everybody. somebody learned a lesson along the way. Or the fast you know? movies. Uh, yeah. just- <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, as much as people love it and I love it too, I will even fault Breaking Bad with this, that the final episode of that show wrapped it. everything up in this neat little package. Yeah. Just a and bit too. It, yeah. it really mm-hmm. was where it was, it was almost to a degree predictable that they were doing the things they were doing so that characters could have certain arcs unfortunately you know and i'm used to watching things where i don't get that um i like me a good old-fashioned coen brothers ending that's yeah. honestly coen what brothers are, what are we learn here today 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things I think I love the most about this movie is that while the other toy stories do end with all the toys making it back home and them having, you know, endured whatever they endured, but at the end of all of it, they're together. This one having that disparaging kind of piece where it's like, no, Woody is on a different path now and a different journey. And for him, home is no longer with that group and with Bonnie. It is now with Bo Peep and these other toys that are choosing to be lost toys. And I kind of look forward to if there's another toy story, I'd much rather stick with Woody in that group than yes. go back to the group that's going with Bonnie. Yeah, I'll say I agree. The 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 thing that I really don't like now, and this is all thanks to um, well, not all thanks to, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe definitely indulges in it, is that they know that there's a projected timeline of movies they fucking need. And so they're like, we're going to have Black Panther 2 and all these other movies. And the only thing that can stop us from doing that is if Chadwick Boseman dies of a tragic mm. disease, which he did. And he and never fucking, told the corporation that he had stomach yep, cancer. Yeah. So he, or one of those, I forget, some sort of internal intestinal cancer. Yeah. And uh, just yeah. like... So then they had to write around him and it's still just, it feels so hollow. Like every superhero movie opens and you know that it's going to end the exact same way with the hero winning in some way. And the only mm -hmm. thing that you can really tweak are the variables of how they get to that end state of winning, which is why I loved infinity war and consider it to be my canonical ending to the series is mm -hmm. they fucking lost. And I like that. I don't need to see them win in end game or any of that. shit. Yeah. Um, and it's that same thing. I like, that subversion because it respects the audience in a way. Um, Infinity War disrespects the audience by going, the Avengers will be back after the credits roll. Uh, mm -hmm. But like other movies where you're wanting these things to happen and then they don't, those are the movies that I love the most because when I walked out of like, like Birdman, the first time I walked out of Birdman, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that because it wasn't what I'm used to. It's not my usual diet. Mm -hmm. And, then and I come now back, you watch it once every three weeks. I do. Yeah. I love Birdman, <laughs> <laughs> but it just like got me out of that headspace. And now I'm like, I want to see more movies like this. I want to know more things in this space. I want to see an artist who takes me on a journey and has this voice and, um, will make the choices they feel is are right for the character and not for servicing the story to an audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, part of it is it's a delicate balance, obviously, but uh, yeah, that's my preference too. So. Well, and, and I will say too, like I love that in the Pixar movies, any of the villains for the most part, um, especially in the toy story movies, like there's depth to them. Like, obviously like we've got motivations and I will say that that's one of the things I missed the most about the early era of the 2000s superhero movies. Not, not let's, let's forget about all the Marvel ones that were just garbage, mm -hmm. but like the I'll first two original, <laughs> the first two original Spider-Mans by Sam Raimi, like Otto Octavius, I consider to be one of the best written villains in a like a superhero movie because there was a lot of depth and conflict that constantly was happening with his character throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. And I would I would also applaud like the first two Batman movies by Christopher Nolan. Uh, I know Dixon is one of the biggest Nolan fans out there, yeah. so he yeah, probably yeah. is there with me. <laughs> I do um, really like Batman Begins. Yes, Batman yeah. Begins. And, and I mean, honestly, like he, yes. he Heath Ledger, like just you don't even need any backstory for his Joker because of the way he, mm -hmm. he just played that character. But like there's depth there, whereas like Jackson was totally into the Mario Brothers movie and like. As much as I love seeing Jack Black chew up the scenes as Bowser, yep. there's no depth whatsoever Not to Bowser as a character. It's nope. just 
superficial. It is kind of funny imagining Bowser as an incel with Jack Black's <laughs> yes. voice. It is kind of funny. But that's about the only thing out of that movie that I'm like, yeah, that was good. It's yeah. bubblegum yeah. pop. Like, uh-huh. you know, it's it's sugary candy. And yep. you, you get what you go in for and you get out and then you never remember it again. And when you watch it, you're like, all right, it, it's, you know, it's serviceable. That is, I, you just described every Chris Pratt movie that has ever existed. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. that is, that is what I think makes these movies, like the Toy Story movies, especially mm-hmm. timeless. Yeah. Um, is that like in 50 years, a kid could watch this movie and still get just as wrapped up in everything um, as they do. As, as we did in this movie, because it's so well made and the story is so well told and yeah. the characters are so well developed. Yeah. And it's telling stories that everyone goes to. There's these very yep. universal stories <laughs> about it, like all the Torsten movies about aging. Right. And like yep. everybody goes through that. Everybody's dealing with that. Kids may not necessarily realize that that's what these movies are about. But even as a kid, they still hit you in a way that is different than other kids movies you know like i remember watching the first two toy story movies as a child and being like these are there's something here that is deeper than these other kids movies that i'm seeing and i didn't comprehend it at the time but i knew something was there yeah 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 i mean i equivocated too to kind of like what don bluth was attempting to achieve in oh, yeah. some of his original movies. I don't know, if, Dixon, if you've seen like The Secret of Nim. Is, is Black he uh, a member of the Bluth Company? No, he is oh, not. Okay. But he did get the seal in Army Mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the seal is for marksmanship, the gorilla is for sandwiches. <laughs> um, but Don Bluth originally was a Disney animator who broke off and started his own studio because mm-hmm. he wanted to tell more mature stories because he believed that children could handle them. Um, he made a couple of laser disc based games, Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2 and Space Ace. Oh, nice. Um, but then also did The Land Before Time, mm-hmm. um, The Secret I of Nim. I watched like the first seven Land Before Time movies as a child, had them all on like the fucking clamshell uh, VHS Yep. Tapes yep. and all that. Yeah. So the first one was Don Bluth. And after that, it was Disney acquired the rights and bought yep. basically everything and mm. then just yeah. started churning them out like gangbusters. But Secret of Nim is one of those uh, that's one of my favorite animated, like traditionally animated films because it's really, really interesting and just very well drawn. He did Black Cauldron, right? Uh, he was one of the animators on Black Cauldron, okay. but that was a Disney property. Where um, they fucked with darkness and then they found out that it didn't make a lot of money to make a dark movie. And yep. so Disney said, we're not. Mm doing that yeah um and then they hired tim burton for some reason yeah what's <laughs> yeah. going on with that <laughs> and he did there there's oh he did all dogs go to heaven um rock, okay. um dogs don't have souls rockadoodle <laughs> rockadoodle i think was one of the other ones he did there there were several Who did that, rover dangerfield <laughs> I, I have no idea we're but, off the rails here but yes, yeah. as always but yes that mature kind of like thematic um presentation and storyline that's what i really appreciate about some of the the more mature pieces of pixar movies is yep. just that it, it again like you said dixon as a kid you watch it you get one thing and then as you get mm-hmm. older as an adult you get something completely different yeah um before we close i one thing that i think would be interesting to a question to go through the group go on toy story 4 is my favorite pixar movie and my favorite disney movie uh, I'm curious to hear from both of you what your favorite Pixar movie and what your favorite Disney movie is. Mm. Mm. See, I got asked this question recently. You mm. know this. And I still struggle to say what a favorite Disney film is because my favorite Disney movie 
that comes to mind is just Hercules. I like Hercules. I've already kind mm-hmm. of like it had some groundbreaking animation techniques from what I remember. They used like a cool technical. I don't think I've ever actually watched shading. that all the way through. Oh, man. Uh, I just love James Woods in it. He's great. And the score and the musical numbers are like my favorite. I would say out of all of the other Disney musicals, I just like Hercules it has such an inspirational tone. I also mm. love the contrast of how fucked up the actual myths of Heracles are compared to Hercules, yeah. <laughs> which has been clearly softened for all kinds of ages. That's funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so that would, I would say that that is my favorite Disney movie and my favorite Pixar. I'm, I always gravitate towards Wally. Wally just yeah. has such a heart to it. Wally's very good. It's so bold too. And what it does like a 45 minute, no dialogue open for that shit is just flexing in the theater. Like this is what yeah. animation can do. Uh, we don't even need to tell you any dialogue about what's going on. We'll just show you. It is really good. The only like qualm I have with it is that it's it's just aping so hard from 2001 that I'm just yeah. like, yes, this is very well done. But like I've seen it done better and it's a very good movie. And I think it is for me, it's Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3 and then Wally as mm-hmm. like the best Pixar movies. But I, I kind of downgrade it because it is it's cheating, right? It's pulling from somebody else's paper who has done this previously. I, I enjoy it. Uh, so I have the reverse order where it's Wally, Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4 for Fuck me. Fuck you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that we were the, the mirror versions of each other. That's why I watch so much Schlock. <laughs> At least we agree uh, those are the top three yeah, Pixar yeah, movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but yeah, like those are definitely it. And um, I would say also just honorary mention to Ratatouille, which I fucking love. Um, I think Ratatouille Ratatouille's cool. sticks yeah. with me quite a bit. Uh, I love think about Patton it a Oswald. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think about it so much, especially because Ratatouille has that again, that Pixar darkness. There's a window full of dead animals in that fucking movie mm-hmm. that just shows uh, itself to you and like the thunder and the rain and everything. It's so unnerving and it makes a point. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's kind of my order. I also just love that Wally is unabashedly about how consumerism and uh, fucking corporate greed yes. is going to lead to the end of the world. Uh, I'm 100% on board with that. And Fred Willard's in it. Come on. Uh, why yeah. not? Uh-huh. <laughs> Mr. By and large himself. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> well, what about you, Mark? Um, I think my favorite Pixar movie right now fluctuates between um, Wally and Coco. Um, I think that ending payoff in Coco is so fucking emotional. And um, as like as a father now, for Mm -hmm. sure, that piece of it uh, and also just as a Hispanic um, where like our family didn't really celebrate Dia de los Muertos. But like as I learned more about it Mm -hmm. and some of the experiences we've had in our lives and everything, like I kind of appreciate that whole concept and the idea that like there is this day where you honor and choose to provide like for the deceased. Mm -hmm. And so just that whole concept for me was like really, really profound. First time I saw it in the theaters, I was like, that was, that was really, really moving, but it wasn't like my favorite Pixar film. But as I watched it more and more, even though it's a little more predictable than, um, than some of the other ones, I still like really come back to it. But yeah, I think that the first 45 minutes of Wally are really, really hard to top for me as well. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people point to Up because of that opening sequence in Up. Yeah. But then after yeah. that, um, 
it, it just becomes like about Doug the dog um, for a lot of it and Kevin the bird. And that's kind of like what drives a lot of the pieces of that movie. Um, and so that doesn't resonate with me as much. But I'd say th- those are probably Wally and Coco given any week. You're going to see one move into the mm-hmm. top spot and the other replace it. If you held a gun to my head right now and say you had to, I had to pick one. Well, long term, yeah, yeah, long term. I mean, John, John, put the gun John. down. Jesus. <laughs> I, I would probably ultimately have to say that it's probably Wally. Um, I just think that that was at that almost the pinnacle of Pixar's like craft. Yeah. Um, you know, just in pure animation style. Mm-hmm saying like here's what we can do like you said john from a disney perspective if is I were, that also your favorite disney film or is there a, a separate one there? so i'm going to separate it just because like it's a cop-out like pixar made that before disney owned them and but like it was a co-release like every pixar movie before that. it was it was but disney you know, doesn't deserve the satisfaction yeah. <laughs> well and and beyond that as well like i am really truly a sucker for quality hand-drawn animation like Mm -hmm. i actually really do like there are many days where i wallow in the fact that that's almost a bygone error and i will jump at any animated film that comes my way um so i mean if i want to cheat since disney technically produced and sent them over here i would probably say princess mononoke would be at the top of my count i mean exactly he's using your logic i am (laughs) because disney was they were the ones who actually distributed and um brought the miyazaki films over to the states initially um both the like castle returns or i'm sorry castle returns uh howl's moving castle um spirited away Princess Mononoke, Castle in the Sky, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Those are all Disney releases over here in the States. And it was because John Lasseter was such a huge fan of Miyazaki and his animation style and wanted to promote um, hand-drawn animation. So if I'm going to cheat, then I'm going to cheat that way because Princess Mononoke is probably my favorite hand-drawn animation film. That's just a fucking wonderful movie. It is. And I mean, Spirited Away is right up there as well, but there really is something about... But um, if you couldn't cheat. If I couldn't cheat. If I couldn't cheat and I was forced to pick an original Disney film, for whatever reason, a lot of people pick the original Pinocchio um that movie has always sat weird with me i can't it's creepy bunch of kids go smoke cigars and turn into donkey exactly Uh it's just it really is warped and everything i would probably say um that the one that i've come around to yeah yep yep, definitely (laughs) song of the south i gotta have gotta have that you know old timey racism Um, (laughs) I, i would probably um pick um i'm gonna say probably beauty and the beast Um, originally it was Lion King, but as I've watched that movie more and more, I'm like, there's some pacing issues with it. It's also very fascist. (laughs) Yes. Very fascist. (laughs) And it's basically also just Hamlet. Um, yes. with lions, uh-huh. you know, like yeah. that's, that's the like, Northmen at that point. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's you know, get some sex in here. Show your yeah. family, the Northmen. Uh-huh. It's the great children's movie of our generation. Your oh. children need to see Willem Dafoe's severed head. Or like <laughs> what are they even doing? You need with to their see their a, a mostly nude Skarsgård massacre of village. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aladdin is overshadowed by Robin Williams being like Robin Williams essentially. And it's one of those where it's a great movie. It's fun, whatever. But because Robin Williams is genie, that's what everybody remembers. Mm -hmm. So beauty and the beast, I feel from start to finish is one of the better animated films. And it also was the one that first incorporated three dimensional effects and graphics. That's right. Without it looking too hammy. So ballroom scene. Yep. The ballroom dancing scene nominated. It was the very first animated film nominated for best picture as well. So, um, no, wait, I was thinking about my Disney movie. Sorry. I was thinking Tron actually is 
is kind of up there for some reason. Oh, is the not, first Tron a Disney movie? Yes, yes it is. It is. Not, not, not Black Hole, John? Are not, you sure you don't want to make a Black Hole? No, not Black Hole. Definitely not Black <laughs> Hole. Uh, well, Tron's just an honorable mention, I guess, at this point. I already yeah. made my choice. It's Hercules. <laughs> yeah. Get, whatever, John. Get it. You've already had your... Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I derailed everybody. I just remembered <laughs> Tron was a thing, and then I remembered it was my favorite, which <laughs> is a weird order of <laughs> instructions. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I think we know where this is going, but uh, John, would you recommend Toy Story 4? Yeah, I mean, why not? Like, it's hard to argue against it. I would never refute this movie for sure, but I wholeheartedly would endorse it. Uh, I Even with my little gripes about these bits and pieces of it that didn't work for me, it's still definitely one of the best Toy Story movies. I still think three is above it for me, but uh, that's also because I like that scene where they all accept their death and they almost die. That furnace scene. That furnace scene yeah. is something. Visceral. Yes. Man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that shit. Uh-huh. Definitely something. Emotional but... damage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is absolutely, uh, I, I would recommend it. Cool. Mark? Mark? Yeah, definitely a recommend from me. Um, I kind of might be with John there where I can oscillate between three and four. They're both so well made that at any point in time, mm-hmm. it's like take either because that furnace sequence and the payoff. But but I would argue, too, that, well, in both cases, it's really the fact that you've known Woody through the other two movies that makes those sequences work the way that yes. they are. Tom Hanks finds um, role. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely recommend it. Next to Elvis, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, you sold my bit, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We're both reaching for the rock of eternity, my boy. Oh, so yeah, definitely recommend from me. Uh, yes, yeah, so I would recommend this as well. I was going to say that this is the second out of three weeks with Asteroid City that I'm wholeheartedly recommending a Tom Hanks movie, <laughs> uh, which is rare for me uh, because Tom Hanks is a horrible actor. But uh, <laughs> Toy Story is definitely the best thing that Tom Hanks has ever done. And um, it's just it's the perfect role f- for, for him. He's really good as Woody. Uh, he's really bad in most things that he does. <laughs> And I'm not a fan of the man, but I think that uh, his his work, his voice work as Woody is it's just really excellent. And a lot of the things that make him annoying in other contexts make him a very fascinating like character going through an existential crisis, dealing with aging and replacement and uselessness and all of these things that just work really well for that role. You know, why doesn't he have a southern accent? You know, who knows? I don't want Tom Hanks to do accents. Uh, But, uh, you know, given he's a sheriff, you would expect something like that. But, uh, you know, I I think he he really is very good in this. And he is a part of the reason why Woody is such a compelling character. And so I will give credit to Tom Hanks in this instance, and I will never mention it again. But um, I love this movie and I highly recommend it. So um, definitely check it out. And I think like if you were one of those people who didn't see Toy Story 4 or kind of like, you know, saw it at the time, like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, you know, like me and you you didn't think about it much after that. Or you're like, yeah, Toy Story 3 was how I wanted this. And I didn't want this. Like, I would encourage you to give Toy Story 4 another chance and to really, really give yourself to the movie and let it take you where it's going and and you know woody's character arc i think is really fascinating and, and a very satisfying way to end the series so um we definitely encourage people to check it out if they either didn't see it or kind of like you know it didn't uh didn't work for you necessarily the first time you should give it another shot 
Now so. let us all hope there's never a Toy Story 5. And, yeah. Uh, but if there is, it's written by Paul Schrader. Oh, I, I would <laughs> In Schrader love we that. trust. <laughs> if there is another Toy Story movie, I will definitely be there on opening weekend to go see it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll see. I'll be skeptical as I was to Toy Story 4. Yep. But then I was very pleasantly surprised and really blown away by it. So hopefully that happens again if there is a Toy Story sequel. Yep. But, um, yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us this week uh, for our Toy Story 4 discussion. I have been your host, Michael Dixon, with me as always. John Garcia, I am just as stupefied and surprised by this pick and this recommendation from Michael Dixon as you all are out there. This is very out of character for me to choose a children's film starring Tom Hanks and to gush about how I cried during it. So a, earnest. Uh, yeah. yeah you, I feel like I we've had a breakthrough movie. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, our wonderful guest, Mark Garcia. Um, you got a friend in me. <laughs> Might as well play us out with Randy yeah, Newman. <laughs> I can't let you throw yourself away. <laughs> That's like a Randy Newman lounge singer. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard him so casually sing a suicide, anti-suicide song. I know. Really, that song is really weird. I, he dedicated it to all those people out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.